Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Six, Matthew chapter 6, as we continue this journey through prayer being the lifeblood of who we are as a church. A few years ago, I was flipping through Christian television. Now, I don't encourage anybody to do that because about 90% of what you see on those channels on TBN and stuff like that is pretty much heretical, about 90%. There's about 10% that's good. But I was watching something that shocked me, and it shocked me for two reasons. Number one, it shocked me because it was a church in Denver, which is close by. But number two, what shocked me even more was the actual song that the worship leader was having them sing as a congregation. This was the Heritage Christian Center back when Pastor Dennis Leonard was the pastor of this church. Now, this is a mega church in Denver. Back in 2006, the Denver Post did a story on Pastor Dennis Leonard. He had kind of a lucrative lifestyle. He was investigated by all these different types of things that televangelists sometimes get investigated for. But I don't know the whole story there. But I just remember the song they were singing, and I went back on YouTube to see if I was actually correct in what the song was, and, and I verified it. So here's, here's the song they were singing. The song was called, It's Coming to Me. And it had this reggae beat, and, and here's, I'll give you the lyrics to the song, okay? It's coming to me. And there's 7,000 people in the sanctuary singing this song. I want what's coming to me. I want what's coming to me. I want my joy. I want my peace. I want my money. I want my healing. I want my money. I want what's coming to me. Now, I was a little shocked by that, just that 7,000 people were in a worship service saying, I want, I want, I want what's coming to me. I want my money. It was a little disturbing. And to add insult to injury, this is what really bothered me, at the bottom of the screen they had the phone number for the church. And literally, I'm not joking, it was 1-800-BLESS-ME was the phone number of the church. Now, this is going to be our pray song next week, Doug, so let's get started with, um, and we'll have 1-800-BLESS-ME. I, I want what's coming to me. I want, I want. 7,000 people in a worship center singing this. And I wonder if this is the attitude that the Bible really teaches about God, about prayer, about worship. And it's almost as if there's this attitude that God is obligated to bless me. And it's this attitude that we see in our world today. God, I deserve this. I want what's coming to me. I want, I want, I want. So God, you got to bless me. Is that really the way that we approach the living God? We are going on this journey as a church, taking a break from the Gospel of John to talk about prayer. Prayer being the lifeblood of every true believer. And so I pray that you've had some good conversations in your growth groups about prayer. I hope that you've been using the 30-day prayer journey, praying the prayers of the Bible, that you are learning more about prayer. And so our focus is on the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're focusing on, how Jesus taught us how to pray. And if you remember last week, we just looked at the address, Our Father in Heaven. 
And we saw three things about that address. Our Father in heaven. Number one, He's our Father. We can come to Him with joy. We can approach His throne of grace. He's our good Heavenly Father. He's our gracious Heavenly Father. We can draw near to Him in fellowship. But at the same time, He's our Father in heaven. He's exalted. He's glorious. He's majestic. He's transcendent. We we're coming uh, to, to the God who we need to, to realize that we're coming into His holy presence. And then we said, thirdly, it's our Father. Jesus didn't say, pray, my Father, which is necessarily wrong. He just said, our Father, which talks about the corporate nature of who we are as a church family, praying for each other, coming before God as a family. And so we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer has six petitions, six requests. We're going to look at the first three requests today, and we're going to look at the second three requests next week. So there's six requests in the Lord's Prayer. And it's very interesting the order that Jesus puts them in, how they relate to one another, and why they are flowing the way that they flow. But here's the main point of the first three requests in the Lord's Prayer. It's simply this. Our prayers must begin, must begin with a passionate desire to be thoroughly God-centered instead of self-centered. God-centered praying as opposed to self-centered praying. And you may never have thought of that before, but let me just ask the question. Are you praying God-centered prayers or 1-800-bless-me-I-got-what's-coming-to-me prayers? Self-centered prayers. Jesus gives us a template here of how we're to start in our prayer life. So let's read together Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at verses 9 and 10. The first three requests, the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, before we look at these three requests, let me just give you a couple things from the original language that help us understand these prayers. The first thing we understand about the grammar, about the prayer itself, it's in the third person plural. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but really what it means is these are corporate prayers that we are praying together. So literally, it could be translated... Father, we ask that you hallow your name. We ask that your kingdom come. We together ask that your will be done. So it's, it's, it's our Father. We're doing this together. It's, it's a we type of praying. We ask these things. But the second thing we also notice in the original language is that the way that, the, that it's structured, these are urgent prayers. These are passionate prayers. These are prayers that we are asking God to to do with urgency, with passion, with intensity, the the way the original language is phrased there. So, we're going to explore these three requests. They come from us, our Father. We're asking these, and we're asking these with passion. We're not just half-heartedly asking these things. We are passionately asking God to do these things. So here's the first request, request number one. We passionately ask that your name be hallowed. Now this is where I learned something in the Lord's Prayer. 
For the longest time, I thought that this was more of a declaration of God's holiness, not a request for God's name to be hallowed. This is not like the Psalms where we're saying, God, your name is holy. God, we bless your name. There's nothing wrong with that. We do that. But that's not what's going on right here. This is a request. We are beseeching. We are asking. We are requesting that God's name would be hallowed. It's not a declaration saying, God, your name is holy. It's asking God, God, would you please make your name holy? Now, why in the world does Jesus focus on God's name? Why does he say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be you? Why does he focus on the name? Hallowed be your name. You see, when you think about the name of God, All throughout the Bible, the name of God carries his very essence, his very character. As a matter of fact, do you realize there are over 700 names of God in the Bible where God shows up on the scene and gives himself a name? When you take God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there are over 700 names of God in the Bible. So God has chosen to reveal himself to us by different names. You think all the way back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. That's the Hebrew word Elohim. It means God. It means creator. It's the Hebrew word for creator. We also have Yahweh, the Lord, which is in all caps in your Bibles, the I am, the God who is, the God who has no needs, the God who's the self-existent God. We've got El Shaddai. God Almighty, God of power, God is my, my refuge, God is, is my, my sufficient God who overpowers. We've got Adonai, Master, El Roy, the God who sees, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. I could go on and on. We're not going to spend all morning going over the 700 names of God. But here's the point. God's name is his very character. It's his very essence. It's how God has chosen to communicate himself with us. The name of God. So when Jesus here tells us that God's name would be hallowed, it means holy. It means revered. It means honored. It means glorified. So what this is here, this first request It's nothing less than a passionate desire for God's name to be glorified, magnified, not only in your own personal life, but around the entire world. The name of God. Psalm chapter 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 111, 9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now, it's very interesting that this is a request, because it begins to ask the question, okay, if God is holy, and God is transcendent, and God is majestic, then then why are we asking God to hallow his name? Are we adding anything to God? Are we adding holiness to God by, by saying, holy is your name, God, as if God's not holy until we tell him that he's holy? 
That's not what's going on here. God is intrinsically holy. God is awesome. God is powerful. We don't change who he is by our praying. It's not as if like God's waiting for us to say, holy holy is your name, God, and he's not holy until we tell him he's holy. That's not what's going on here. We don't add anything to it. What it is here, it's a heartfelt desire for God's name to be hallowed in the earth. Because here's the issue. This is what's been really bothering me this whole week as I've been in my own personal prayer life. God's name is blasphemed everywhere you turn. His name is dishonored. Not just in cuss words, using his name in vain, but just all the different ways that people misuse and mishonor the very name of God. And so this is the very first desire of your heart that comes in prayer. I have a passionate desire that God's name would be holy in my life, in my family's life, in the life of my church, in this country, in this world, because God's name is blasphemed. God's name is dishonored. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do you do everything in your life to the glory of God? This first request is nothing less than a passionate desire to see God's name, God's fame, and God's glory permeate the earth. Do you know that's what the psalmist and a lot of the Old Testament passage of scriptures called for? They wanted God's name to be glorified in the whole earth. Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Isaiah 6, 3. The two seraphim, the, or the, the, the winged creatures, are calling to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Habakkuk 2, 14. For the earth will be filled with with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Hallowed be thy name. Do you realize this is, the, um, this is right in line with Emmanuel's mission statement? As I was working through this, I thought, you know what? Our mission statement fits very nicely into the Lord's prayer because what's the first part of our mission statement? We exist to display God's glory. Hallowed be your name. Do you have a passionate desire? Are you asking God? Are you begging God with passion that God, would your name be glorified? Would your name be honored? Would your name be, be, be holy in my life, in my family's life, in our church, in our community, in our nation? Psalm 115.1 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So request number one, it's a request. Are we asking corporately, individually, that God's name would be revered, would be holy, would be honored, would be glorified in our own lives, in our family, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our our church, in our community, and dare we say, permeate the entire world? That's request number one. Request number two. Remember, these are corporate prayers that we're asking together and we're asking them passionately. So request number two. We passionately ask that your kingdom come. 
Now, this flows somewhat logically or naturally from the first request about God's name being hallowed. Here's a very significant question. Why isn't God's name being hallowed? Ever thought about that? Why isn't God's name revered and honored? Why is God's name blasphemed? Why is God's name dishonored? Here's the answer. The answer is because there are millions of people in lostness, in darkness, that are in captivity to sin and Satan and the flesh, and they are in bondage, and their nature is to blaspheme God's name. So, there are people that are in the kingdom of darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-4 says this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, that's the devil, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers from what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So, so people are living with blinders on. They, they can't see. They're in a kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 He's delivered us from the domain. Some translations say the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is a passionate desire for God's kingdom to come. Okay, that's great. But what is God's kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Listen to what Jesus said in John 18, 36. He's on trial before Pilate. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Now, we could spend a month of Sundays talking about the kingdom of God, but let me just give you a basic definition. The kingdom of God is anywhere he rules and he reigns as king. Now, the Bible speaks of three aspects of the kingdom of God. The Bible says that the kingdom of God has already come, that the kingdom of God has already come. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. So when Jesus showed up on the scene in the flesh, he preached the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. With Jesus on the scene, the kingdom is here. His rule, his reign is here. Now, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He went back up to heaven. He's ruling and reigning in heaven right now. And so there's another sense in which the kingdom of heaven is present right now on earth, even though Jesus is not on earth, but his kingdom rules through our hearts as his people. We are presently experiencing the kingdom of God anywhere he rules and he reigns in the hearts of his people. Hebrews 12, 28 says this, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So so the kingdom's already come when Jesus came. The kingdom's already here right now in our hearts. But there's also a sense in which which the kingdom's going to come. The ultimate kingdom of God. Where he comes back in power and glory. And as Revelation says, Revelation 11, 15 Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's from Handel's Messiah. So so, so the sense in which there's going to be a future day when Christ will come back on a white horse and rule as king. But what's the prayer request? What are we really asking God to do? 
What are we asking God when we say, God, let your kingdom come? What are we praying? What are we asking God to do? It's nothing less than asking God passionately that he would come and rule and reign in hearts that are in bondage, in hearts that are in darkness. This is a missionary prayer. It's an evangelistic prayer. We are praying that God would come and liberate people who are lost, people who are blind, people who are in prison, people who are in the domain of Satan, that God would come and rescue them so that Christ would be their king and Christ would rule and reign in their hearts. It's nothing less than a prayer for the conversion of lost people. So when we pray, your kingdom come, what we're asking God to do is, would you save lost people? Lost people that are in the kingdom of darkness that need to be put into the kingdom of light. Jesus, would you come and would you save lost people? Would you convert lost people? Would your rule and your reign come into the lives of lost people so they can become part of your kingdom? That's what we're praying. It's a missionary prayer. It's what the disciples prayed in the book of Acts. Acts 4, 31 through 33. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what we're going to be praying about tonight as a church at prayer meeting. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. And great grace was upon them all. Is that what you're praying for? boldness, the power of God, the conversion of lost people, the grace of God in people's lives so that people are liberated from the kingdom of darkness and that Christ would rule and reign in their hearts as Lord and as Savior. Do you have a passionate desire to see lost people come to faith in Christ? If you do not, I question whether you're saved yourself. Do we have a passion for lost people? It's interesting, this relates to the second aspect of our mission statement. What's the first part of our mission statement? We exist to display God's glory. Hallowed be your name. What's the second part of our mission statement? We exist to declare God's gospel. Let your kingdom come. Let the gospel advance with power. Let us be bold in presenting the gospel so that lost people would be saved. Listen to what Jesus told us to pray in Luke 10.2. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. So request number one, we passionately ask that your name is glorified, honored, revered, because it's blasphemed. Request number two, We passionately ask that your kingdom would come, that that there would be conversion of lost people, that the rule and reign of Christ would take effect in people's hearts so that he would be king, he would be honored, and people would be liberated out of their darkness. And here's request number three. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. We passionately ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's a question for those of us that believe in the sovereignty of God, like I do, and I've always asked this question. Why are we praying this? Why are we praying for God's will to be done if God's will is going to be done? Is not God's will going to be done? Is there something out there that's stopping God's will? Why are we praying this? Does it mean if we don't pray this, God's will is not going to get done? God's not going to accomplish his will in the world unless we pray this prayer. Is that what it means? 
we have to dig a little deeper and ask the question. When the Bible talks about God's will, it talks about two types of God's will. There are two ways in which the Bible speaks of God's will. The first is God's sovereign will, his will of sovereignty, his will of secret sovereign movings in the universe, in the world. That's what we call the sovereign will of God. It's the kind of will of God that's going to get done. We don't always see it. It's behind the scenes. But this is the sovereign will of God that will infallibly be done because God is going to get it accomplished. Let me just give you a few verses that, that teach the sovereign will of God. Psalm thirty-three, eleven: The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will, I will accomplish all my purpose. Doesn't say I might, says I will. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things, not just some things, but all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted, can be stopped. And then Ephesians 1.11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. So when the Bible speaks about God's will, in one sense, there's the sovereign will of God that's going to get done. But the Bible speaks of God's will in a second way. This is the will of command, or God's moral will. The will of God is revealed into us in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments, in the Scriptures. It is the will that God desires for us to follow, that He lets us know what we need to do. It's God's moral law. And let me just say this, this will of God is rejected and not fulfilled every day. Now, God's sovereign will is always going to get accomplished, but God's moral will is rejected every day. There's people that disobey God every day. There's people that don't follow his law every day. There's people that reject him every day. 1 John says it this way in in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Is that sovereign will or is that moral will? We can't do the sovereign will of God. Only God can do that. It's the moral will of God. It's the obedient will of God. So I think when Jesus is talking about this will be done on earth as is in heaven, he's not talking about God's sovereign will. He's talking about God's moral will. His will of command. Because what's happening in heaven right now? The angels are perfectly obeying God all the time. What's going on in heaven right now? Is there perfect obedience going on in heaven? Yes. Is there perfect um, following of God's will and God's ways and God's word in heaven? Yes. But what's happening on earth right now? Are people honoring God's name? Are people obeying Him? Do sinners submit to his kingship? Do we always obey the revealed will of God in the Bible? The answer is no. Every single day, people are disobeying God's 
will as revealed here in the Bible. It's being disobeyed every day. So, what's the prayer request? Yes, we know God's sovereign will is going to be accomplished because no plan of his can be thwarted. He does what he pleases. He's in the heavens. He's going to get his will done. But what we need to be concerned about is, Father, may your moral will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for us to be obedient to his scripture, to his will. Let me ask you just a simple question. Is that your passionate prayer? Do you passionately pray, Lord, I'm asking that you would make me obedient. You'd give me the strength to be obedient. Listen to some of these scriptures that talk about obedience to God's will. Deuteronomy 26, 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. The statutes, the commands, the will of God. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Obedience to God's will, the book of the law. Psalm 119, 9-11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, for I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right now, in the world, God's revealed will in the scriptures being disobeyed every day. People are blaspheming God. People are are cursing at God. There's people living in darkness. And there are Christians who are not obeying God's word. We're not obeying God's word. We sometimes don't submit to him as king. So if you're a follower of Christ, your ultimate desire should be to follow him in obedience to his will, that his will would be done. His will would be accomplished. You would be obedient to his will. It's very similar to what the Great Commission tells us to do. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, obey, keep all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the prayer for God's will to be done is really a prayer for obedience to his word. Do you have a passionate desire to ask God that his will, his word, His ways would be done in your life, in your family, in our church, in our community, and in the world. So think about how God-centered these prayers are. It's about the name of God. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the will of God. Before we start asking God for anything for us, These are thoroughly God-centered in nature, not self-centered. These are about the glory of God, the honor of God, the fame of God, the will of God. Are you passionate about God's name being glorified? Does Does it break your heart, Christian? Does it break your heart that God's name is blasphemed in our world? Does it break your heart? Do you have a desire for God's name? 
to be honored in your life? Does it break your heart, Christian, that there are lost people that are in darkness and they're only acting as prisoners of war and they're trapped by Satan and they're trapped by their sin and they're trapped by their flesh and they need to be rescued and you've got the message of the gospel? Does it break your heart that that you want to see God's kingdom come in people's lives so they can submit to the kingship of Christ? Does it break your heart that people are lost? Let me ask you a more personal question. Does it break your heart that you don't obey God's will? Does it break your heart that you don't follow his commands? Does it break your heart that his will is not being done? If you're not broken personally, if you're not broken over these requests that God's name is not being hallowed, that God's kingdom is not advancing, and that God's will is not being done, then you need to have a Holy Spirit revolution in your heart to ask God to burden you with those things. And so that's what I want to do this morning. We can talk all day long about prayer, but I want us to pray. These God-sized prayers. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And we're going to spend some time praying the Lord's Prayer. Remember, it's not rote It's not something that you just do out of mechanics. These are heartfelt, God-centered, God-sized, huge prayers that we corporately as a church are asking God to do. So quietly in your seats, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to lead us through a time of, of silent prayer. And you go before the Lord and ask these to be personally, passionately on your heart. So here's the first thing I want us to pray about. Would you passionately just spend a few moments asking that God's name would be hallowed in your life, in your family's life, in the life of this church, and that you would just cry out that God's name is blaspheming, you would desire for his name to be holy. Just spend some time asking God to hallow his name. spend a few moments asking for God's kingdom to come. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that you know that's not saved. There's somebody you know that's living in darkness, that's entrapped in a kingdom of darkness, and only God can release them into his kingdom. Would you pray for them? Would you pray for the advancement of the gospel? Maybe, Maybe God would lay upon your heart some missionaries or some evangelists, or people that you know, church planners, that that God's kingdom would advance, God's kingdom would come. Spend some time just praying for God's kingdom to come. Spend some time praying that God's will would be done. That means obedience. Maybe there's an area in your life this morning where you're not being obedient. You're not following his commands. You're disobedient in an area. You're not following his will. Would you just spend some time asking that you would be obedient to God's will? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, let me just say this. There may be some of you in this room that 
you're not even sure if you could even pray these prayers because you don't have a relationship with God in the first place. You would not consider yourself one to have a relationship with Jesus because you've never repented of your sins and believed in Him alone for salvation. And the beauty is that you can leave this place today knowing that you're saved by His grace if you would repent of your sins and you would believe in Him. You can't even begin to have God as your Father and pray these prayers unless you have Jesus as your Savior first. So maybe during this time of quiet, you just need to confess your sin. You need to go before Christ and ask Him to forgive you and and that you would give your life to Him. You would trust Him fully for salvation. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you call upon Jesus if you've never done that before and receive the gift of salvation? Our Father in heaven, our ultimate passion is for your name. For your name to be holy. For your name to be hallowed. For your name to be glorified. Father, it's amazing how much your name is blasphemed in our world. But probably what's even more shocking is the times that we don't honor your name as your, as your people. So would we have a burning passion for your name to be hallowed, your name to be glorified in our lives? That your praise will ever be on our lips. Father, would we have a burning passion for those that are lost? Those that are in the kingdom of darkness. Those that have no hope. Those that are separated from you that we would so pray that you would release them from captivity and and rescue them and bring them into your kingdom and that, Lord Jesus, your rule and your reign as king would be evident in our hearts. And we do pray your kingdom come eventually. Lord, would you come back soon and set up your kingdom once and for all. And Father, we pray that your will would be done on on earth as is in heaven. Lord, we know in heaven your will is perfectly accomplished. Would we be obedient to your will? Would we submit to your will? Both your sovereign will and your will of command, Lord, the things that you do that we don't understand, will we submit to those? But Lord, the things we do understand that are written for us in the Bible, that are plain in front of us, will we be obedient to those things? Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to your name be the glory because of your steadfast love and your righteousness. We pray these things not in our own power and strength, not because we're good, not because we deserve it. We pray these things because you're good and you deserve it. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen and amen.